Hello and welcome. We are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. Hello, lovely. Hello, Hi. beautiful. How are you? Super duper fantastic. <laughs> Did I pull that off okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was a great facial expression, yes. Well, they can't see that. That was supposed to be a secret. Oh, good job keeping secrets, Rebecca. Jeez. Sudafed. Oh, yeah. Rebecca's drugged. Yeah. I have a cold. I'm having a mental health breakdown. Tiffany's peachy keen and so pretty. Oh, thank you, honey. Yeah. I accidentally told her that today because Sudafed. Yeah. I told her I was wearing an old lady shirt and she goes, no, you look Instagrammy. And boy, did that go to my head. (laughs) Hmm. So Sudafed is like your truth serum. Yeah. Or bourbon. Love this for me. Perfect. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a fun topic for us? Uh, Yeah, of course. But that has nothing to do with... I'm just scared to see what she has to say during this episode. But are you guys ready for Valentine's Day? Nope. Yes. I'm so excited. Valentine's Day. That I can do. One, if you don't like Valentine's Day, because people suck. Do you want to hear about the Valentine's Day massacre? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent segue. In case, you know, Valentine's Day isn't your thing. I'm so down for this. Let's hear about it. We talk about a little booze, a little forensics, mob activity, you know. What better way to celebrate Valentine's Day? Your typical Valentine's Day? (laughs) I'm down. In my household it is. Booze, mobs, and for what else did I say? Forensics. (laughs) (laughs) Words are hard. I love you. Thank you. On February 14th, 1929, at 10.30 a.m. at the SMC Cartage Company Garage at 2122 North Clark Street on the north side of Chicago was home to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. You just said a lot in that one sentence. It's a lot. February 14th, 1929, 10.30 a.m. 91 years ago. What you said. At the SMC Cartage Company Garage, 2122 North Clark Street. St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That's not 91 years ago, is it? 1929? Oh, I thought it was 1921. Sudafed. Chicago. Massacre. The north side (laughs) of Chicago. Seven men associated with George Bugs Morin's bootlegging operation were waiting inside the garage. People believe they were waiting for a meeting to buy a hijacked shipment of Canadian whiskey. Because this is during Prohibition. Got it. So bootlegging was quite lucrative operation. And the mob was very well known for kind of heading that, especially in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Might want to say Chicago again. Chicago? They're in Chicago. Chicago. Uh, Four men, two wearing police uniforms, pulled up in a police car, entered the garage, and ordered Moran's men to line up shoulder to shoulder against the wall of the garage. The men did not put up a fight because they thought they were being under arrest. Being under (laughs) arrest. (laughs) (laughs) They thought they were under arrest and being subjected to a police raid. The two men, dressed in police uniforms, opened fire with two Thompson (gasps) submachine guns and a shotgun. No! The killers undoubtedly had hoped to kill Moran, but he was not among the seven victims. They believed that he was supposed to be there, but was casually late for this meeting, saw the police car outside, and decided to continue walking. I just got this picture of, like, not that anyone would put a hit out on Tiffany, but, like, her, like, casually walking and make a very obvious, like, about face. (laughs) 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 I could just hear her, like, in her Walk by a stranger. I don't need to go by there. No. Excuse me, ma'am. Nothing. 
Nope, nope. It's Wrong fine. garage. Sorry. So sorry. Is this not Louisiana? I thought it was. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> so sorry for the inconvenience. So all seven of the men that were in the garage were shot dead. Five of the seven members were known gangsters. Peter Guzman and Frank Guzman were top and voice voices. <laughs> they were top and voices for Moran. Oh, we get Martha today. <laughs> no, Martha talks Martha like was like this. They were the top and forces. As was Albert Kachalek, Adam Heyer, who was Moran's business manager, Albert Weisenschneider, who managed multiple of Moran's businesses, Reinhardt Schwimmer, an optician. Okay. Because, you know, you got to keep doctors in your back pocket just in case. For things like seeing, clearly. Yeah. That would be ideal. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And then John May, who was actually an auto mechanic. um, And they believe it was his garage where they did repair work for Moran. Frank Guzman had 22 bullet wounds. Jesus. But he did not die immediately. What? Uh. That does not sound pleasant. (laughs) 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 Not into this. Now that's just not nice. That's not nice. You couldn't have just done one good headshot and taken the poor guy out? He was rushed to the hospital where he was questioned. And in classic gangster fashion, he refused to say... Just a little peek behind the curtain, guys. My notes wouldn't print, so I'm reading off my phone. So I apologize. So in classic gangster fashion, he refused to say much. One account has him saying that the, quote, police were responsible for the shooting, which is consistent with the fact that two of them were in police uniforms. He was pronounced dead three hours after the shooting. Wow. Okay. What a miserable three hours. How do you get hit 20 times and not like hit something incredibly vital? 22. 22 22. times. He may have, if he was like a pretty prolific gangster, he could have had some sort of protection on. So like he hid behind a car or something? Well, that. Oh, no they had them lined up yeah they had them lined up against the back wall of the garage but maybe he had some sort of like i don't know if they had bulletproof attire back then well but. also they probably did hit something vital it's just it took three hours for it to like finally right because hmm. obviously there wasn't a brain or heart wound but they could or hit any else. major arteries maybe he had really long legs maybe <laughs> Didn't I didn't go into the ballistic explanation of where he was hit. I apologize. Um, the massacre was a turning point in the public's attitude towards the mob. Before this, mobsters, Capone, Al Capone in particular, mm-hmm. was seen by many as almost like a heroic figure. Yeah, the because, Robin Hoods. Yeah. Sorry, I just got a picture of my cat, like, <laughs> sitting on the counter, like, half asleep. Like, I am the heroic one. I am the heroic figure. Accurate. I steal from the rich, which I am, and give to the people that I like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I won't swat at Rebecca when she tries to take some. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Depends on how recently she has fed me. So he was considered somewhat of a heroic figure, and he had lots of friends among the, quote, common people and lots of allies in places of power. That's what people did before Facebook. Made friends. Had common friends. <laughs> Just actually, like, interacted with people. Yeah. Uh, gross. <laughs> Biographer Lawrence Bergine eloquently summarized the national reaction as, quote, Newspapers across the country devoted an unprecedented amount of space to cover of the mass murders of seven men, and the process sold millions of copies. The event impressed itself into the consciousness and the history of the nation like a dark fly in amber. 
poetic right again before facebook people had time to do these things um and author william helmer says capone must have regretted the massacre because of its dire effects on his business quote the murders made the front page of every daily paper in the united states and in many foreign countries chicago police launched a great crackdown on the city's several thousand speakeasies which cost capone's outfit a fortune oh yeah because this was when was the prohibition uh, 1918 is when it went into effect. Okay. But it was I think 1933. That sounds right. Was when it was lifted. That would explain why there's so many speakeasies. Yeah. And this was, like I said, they believe that they were accepting a shipment of Canadian whiskey mm-hmm. during the shooting. So, because he was such a well-known mob boss, Al Capone was immediately suspected of orchestrating the massacre, although he was, you know, unsuspiciously living in Miami Beach, Florida at the time. Huh. Hmm. You look like you were going to say. Oh, it was 33. Yes. Look at you being amazing. Like always. Sorry. Probably. It, I only knew it because I researched it for this topic. So suspects were identified and a few individuals were arrested, including Capone's bodyguard, Machine Gun Jack. Hey, that's much better than bugs. I've heard of that one. <laughs> but authorities could not build a case against anyone and no prosecutions occurred. A leading account has Jack, or McGurn is his actual last name, setting up the massacre by tricking the Moran gang members into showing up at the garage to take a delivery hijacked from Capone, but others, including Moran himself, disputed the storyline. Okay. Um, the police charged McGurn in the massacre, but he provided an alibi. He said he was in a hotel with his girlfriend, Louise Rolf, the entire day. Within the next week, he married Rolf which allowed her to avoid having to testify against him. How, how does that allow her to avoid you, testifying? In the U.S., you can, if you're married to somebody, they can't testify. Well, they can if they want to, but... You have the right to refuse testifying against your legal spouse. Gotcha. Okay. So, Rolf quickly became known as the Blonde Alibi. Oh, I hope that I have a cool nickname when <laughs> I die. Like, Nobody said she was dead. Well, I'd imagine she's dead by now. That was 91 years ago and she was old enough to get married, which uh, doesn't say much back then, but it's fine. Yeah. So that'd be cool. So what would your nickname be? It depends on the color of my hair at the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the only basis for nicknaming. It's fine. It could be bugs. I don't want to be bugs. Machine gun. No. Or toots. Toots Toots McGoots. (laughs) So Cook County Coroner Herman Budson carefully collected the evidence from the crime scene. He also named a coroner's jury consisting of local business leaders to investigate the murders. Their first concern was to figure out whether the police officers were actually involved in the massacre. So they hired Dr. Calvin Goddard, who was a pioneer in ballistics testing from New York to work on the case. And there's actually some pretty cool studies and things that this guy put into place, but I didn't go a whole lot into detail. But one of the tests that he did, he developed the science of identifying fired bullets and empty cartridges known as forensic ballistics. He proved that no two revolvers are made exactly alike and that every weapon makes characteristic marks on a bullet and cartridge shells and that they are the same every time that gun is fired. That's cool. So he basically discovered that you can tell what gun a fired bullet comes from. That's really cool. So, and then he also determined that you could take a shell, determine what gun it came from, and he was actually brought in in 1927 to help in the and Vanzetti robbery slash murder case in Massachusetts where he compared 
bullets fired from Sako's revolver with bullets found at the crime scene. And he confirmed that one of the bullets recovered from the scene had been fired by Sako's gun. And then there's multiple other cases that he was involved in. So what state was that in? Uh, Massachusetts. Is that how you say it? No. Okay. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. What did I say? Massachusetts. 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 I swear I listened to what you were saying. Massachusetts. All I I could think about was the way you said Massachusetts. Boston. How about that? (laughs) I don't know if it was in Boston, but um, Massachusetts. What did I say? Is that what I said? Jesus. I don't know. I'm from Georgia. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. M.A. Probably in the Boston area. Okay. Probably. So when Goddard arrived, he was presented with a massive collection of bullets and shell casings removed from the crime scene. He quickly determined that the 45 caliber shells had been fired from a Thompson submachine gun, and he concluded that 50 cartridges had been fired from one Thompson and 20 from another. Goddard's first task was to answer the question of whether the police were involved. He obtained samples of fired bullets from several Thompson machine guns owned by the Chicago Police Department, which, Uh, yeah, them owning machine guns is terrifying. And after he compared them under a microscope with the slugs removed from the murder victims, he informed the coroner's jury that no police weapons had been used. This led the investigators to believe that the shooters had worn uniforms as a disguise. That That would be my first guess. Well, yes, but that's but what they were trying to rule out. Rule yes. out. A few months later, the murder of a sheriff's deputy in rural Michigan. Did I say that one correct? <laughs> <laughs> the sass is strong tonight. Led to a seizure of weapons in the house of the suspect, Fred, quote, killer Burke. Two Tommy guns confiscated from the house were tested by Goddard and were proved to have been used in the massacre. What? Bum, bum, bum. You're telling us about something that will actually have a resolution? Maybe. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Most of mine have resolutions. What I just are you talking about assumed this one wouldn't after like five minutes of you talking. I was like, oh, this one's going to be a mystery. <laughs> Thanks, Tiff. <laughs> I appreciate Nothing against the support. You. Burke started his life of crime as a teenager in Kansas City. When he moved to St. Louis, he became a top member of Egan's Rats, the city's most notorious crime syndicate. Okay. <laughs> oh, to be alive in the 20s. I feel like a crime group would have a cooler name than... <laughs> I, I thought Egan's a crime Rats. group would have a cooler name. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not remember the sharks and the jets? I mean, that's cooler than Egan's Rats. Egan's? Egan. Oh. Egan's Rats. Not very cool. <laughs> I'll let him know you said so. Thank you. Burke committed robberies and contract killings in St. Louis until a large number of his associates were jailed. He moved to Michigan where he was associated with, how about this one? Detroit's Purple Gang. <laughs> what? <laughs> Is that better? No. No. <laughs> And was suspected in the murder of three men in 1927 when he relocated to Chicago, where he was allegedly hooked up with Al Capone. Oh, so this is a Capone bum, thing. Bum, bum. What? Troublemaker, Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, of course, during the massacre, Burke was among the top suspects. He went back to Michigan, where he went into hiding. And on December 14th, 1929, he was involved in a car accident where he was known as Frederick Dane. Okay. When police officer Charles Skelly tried to interview Burke, shot him dead and took off. (gasps) Oh, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) He wrecked his car on the edge of town, but managed to steal another one and get away. 
Police found papers in his wrecked car that led them to his house, where they found an arsenal that included two Thompson submachine guns. The guns and ammunition were delivered to Dr. Goddard, and Goddard fired test bullets from the Tommy gun, and again, this is when they found the match for the massacre victims. Okay. Um, So they now had the police weapons, but they didn't have any suspects in custody. Got it, because he got away. Because he ran like a little rat. Because he was part of the rats. I get it. You're funny. (laughs) You're so cute. So he became America's most wanted man at the time. During this time, he fled to a farm in Green City, Missouri, and he posed as a prosperous businessman named Richard White. While hiding out there, he married a 20-year-old nurse named Bonnie Porter, and they lived on her father's farm. A local man named Joe Hunsacker. Hunsacker? Sure. Joe H. (laughs) studied the new gamer and became convinced he was really Fred Burke, whose pictures he had seen in True Detective magazine. I like this guy. The local police initially ignored Hunsacker's pleas to apprehend the fugitive. But finally, in the early morning of March 26, 1931, they raided Burke's house and found him. He had weapons by his side, but he did not resist arrest. He was extradited to Berrien County, where he was convicted of the killing of of the police officer and sentenced to life in prison. He served nine years in the state prison before he died of a heart attack in 1940. He was strongly suspected of participating in the St. Valentine's Day massacre, but was never prosecuted for that. As we know, Al Capone was in Florida at the time of the massacre, and he claimed he had nothing to do with it. He was never arrested or prosecuted in connection with the crime. However, he did end up going to prison soon after the massacre, effectively ending his reign as the leader of Chicago's organized crime. There's Chicago again for you, Rebecca. I know you're waiting for me to say it. Can I just say that every time Al Capone's mentioned in something, I know he's a bad guy and a mobster, but I'm always like, you go Capone, and I like root for him a little bit. Well, not everything he did. I mean, yeah, he killed a well, uh, assumably was involved in the murder of a lot of people, but I'm, everything I'm, he I'm did sorry. was awful. Assumably? Yeah. Okay. Innocent Allegedly. until proven guilty. Allegedly. That's the word we were looking for. Assumably. <laughs> is that a word? It is now. <laughs> Sweet. Um, I mean, we can assume. I mean, it might be the Sudafed, but that word didn't sound a Sudafed. But theme. even then, though, like he had people. His hands could be completely clean. He may have pointed he, them in the direction. He had common friends. Exactly. He did have common friends. So yeah, when you were like, Capone wasn't arrested for that. I'm like, oh, good job, Capone. Because you weren't involved. <laughs> You're a good guy. Is yeah. this because you actually like the guy or just because he's associated with my cat? Well, no, it's just because you always hear like fun stories about Capone and like everybody kind of like builds Capone up, even though, you know, he was a bad guy and ended up in Alcatraz, right? Yes, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I always root for him, find myself rooting for him. And I'm like, I know how this ends, but I'm going to root for you anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, his hands could be completely clean. Could he might have just pointed somebody in a direction. It's fine. So after the massacre, Capone was summoned to a national mob conference <gasps> in Atlantic City. They were that organized? I have always had this like fantasy of being involved in the mob in some way, shape or form. Like, I want to be married to a mobster or, like, be a blonde alibi or something. Right? So, you know, that sounds glamorous to me. It really does. And then you think about, so I have the same thoughts. And then I watched uh, Sons of Anarchy, and I know it's a biker gang and a little different, but not really. Um, And I'm like, man, that's a hard life. But I'd still, like, want to be a one of those. What do you think podcasting is? 
not even <laughs> no. remotely the same as we do it safely from tiffany's house in suburbia <laughs> in front georgia. of no one in suburbia georgia that's when people ask where in georgia we are suburbia, suburbia. <laughs> i mean yeah i come to suburbia once a week so after he was summoned to the mob conference in Atlantic City, he did. De- uh, of course, it was, it's Atlantic City. Of course. The his fellow leaders determined that Capone needed to, quote, lie low for a while. It was arranged for him to be arrested in Philadelphia on a gun possession charge that resulted in a 10 month prison term. So the first time that he went to prison, it was basically arranged so that he could be safe. OK, question. Yes. Mob conference. Is it just like. We're going to get the Italian mob together at this conference. Because I picture like a bunch of rival mobs. But if they're a conference and they're trying to take care of each other, I'm imagining it's not rival. No, probably not. And probably by like mobster conference, it probably means like the mob bosses from like neighboring territories Mm -hmm. getting together and being like, hey, your man crossed the line. Get them together. That's that's what I picture. What's this accent you've got going on? I told you that one came out at the very beginning, okay? I'm, I'm just, digging I it. I want to be a mobster, okay? Why are you trying to give me such a hot time? Gonna make you go swimming with the fishes. <laughs> I don't like the ocean. <laughs> I know. Use my special intelligence unit to get <laughs> intel on you. Are y'all on Sudafed? <laughs> I think so. Maybe. I think Tiffany's just being. It's mean. a contact high. It's a contact high. <laughs> There's no contact. <laughs> You specifically said that it was contagious, so... Yeah, the cold, not the Sudafed. <laughs> well, it sounds like a personal problem. I don't know. So, meanwhile, the Treasury Department had targeted Capone, the intelligence unit specializing in tax evasion cases, uh, after several years of relentless sleuthing had compiled enough evidence to prosecute Capone. However, convicting him would be a tall order. He was the most powerful man in Chicago. He had the police and politicians in his back pocket, and good luck finding any witnesses willing to testify against him. You want to root for him? I want that power. (laughs) Um, But they had compiled a paper trail that showed Capone reaping big profits without paying his share of taxes. Fearing Capone would threaten or kill his two key witnesses, agents kept them hidden out of the state until it was time for them to testify. Upon learning that Capone planned to tamper with the jury, Judge James Wilkerson introduced a new set of jurors on the trial's opening day. And on October 17th, 1931, the jury found Capone guilty. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison, one of the most severe tax evasion sentences in history. He served most of that time in Alcatraz. Ta-da! If you want to talk to his ghost, I've got a podcast for you. Right? (laughs) (laughs) We've got connections. So, no one was ever prosecuted for the St. Talents Day. Hmm. This is a whole nother case. Probably not. But what about (laughs) St. Valentine's? No one was ever prosecuted for the St. Valentine's Day massacre. But evidence compiled at the time and the years since have built a strong argument for closing the book on this case. So, since you uh, mentioned a podcast for that, should we take a quick drink break? And then we'll come back and talk about the uh, thoughts of who done it. Sure. Let's do it. Let's do, Let's do it. it. Alcatraz opened in 1934. I arrived in 1935. And I'm still here. I'm Charlie the Bagman Paglin. And I'm dead. 
Tune in every fortnight to hear about some of the nastiest inmates The Rock has had. Learn about Alcatraz, about me and the fun I have with ghost hunters. I'm behind you, Baggins. Episode 1 is about Al Capone, the banjo playing, tax dodging numpty. Join me, Charlie, from the 6th of October on Infernal Souls and Eternal Arseholes. Available on ACAST, Spotify, and most other podcast players. Alright, so we're back. Now that we've put away our bootlegged alcohol. It's not bootlegged anymore. The stuff I have downstairs is... (laughs) (laughs) Suburbia, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Anyways, so not that we're claiming anything uh-uh. on anything we're putting out in the universe. So who done it? Who do we think done it? The dead guy. The dead guy. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple. Um, I think we started off I with don't seven. I don't mean to so. poke holes, but it's called a massacre for a oh, reason. Oh, also, before we dive into this, and I meant to touch base on it, but I didn't put it in my notes because it made me sad. Oh, no. There was a puppy. <gasps> no! no! Why did you bring it up now? No, it was tied to the bumper. <gasps> no! Stop! No. Nope. At the garage. No. Nope. No. Nope. But he survived. Okay. That's fine. He survived, but then he started to go crazy, so they had to put him down. Ashley, I just find that like fascinating. Like that dog went crazy. Like they said that he was like acting out and reaching out to the people, and I think it was the mechanic's dog. And the family said that the dog had never acted like that, and they chose to have him put down. So I thought that was crazy. Well, I mean, if he got shot in the he brain, didn't get hit. Well, if his master's missing, that's the only thing that I could think that would make him go so crazy. Like I don't, unless he realized what happened somehow but yeah so there's that <laughs> you're s- i love you Oy. i'm a horrible person you but are it's fine so the consensus is it was the quote american boys Wait, who were a crew out of st louis that worked for capone and it was capone who gave them the nickname of the american boys because they weren't italian so what about what is with these totally original names i mean that one it's i'm kind of And uh, you got to think, I mean, Capone's crew was largely Italian. He probably had different allies and he was like, yeah, those are my American boys. Those are my, I don't know, another Massachusetts, Massachusetts boys. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the Boston boys, you know, Boston's not American. (laughs) Those are my Irish boys. The guy that traveled through Massachusetts, mm-hmm. Boston, okay. he is not considered to be one of the... Oh, no. Okay, just curious. I, we got distracted about the American boys. We okay. haven't gotten into the American boys yet. Okay, sorry. So, there were multiple clues that implicated members of this group. An eyewitness said that one of the killers who was wearing a police uniform had a missing front tooth. Fred, Killer Burke, had a missing front tooth. Ah. Second, a search of Burke's hideout in rural Michigan uh-huh. turned up with the two Tommy guns that were tested to be used in the massacre. So he is one of them. Yes. yes. He is like one of the main ones. Okay. Chicago authorities wanted to prosecute Burke for the massacre, but Michigan would not let him go. Instead, he was prosecuted for murdering the police officer in Michigan. And served the rest of his life in prison. In November 1931, Cook County Coroner Herman Budson officially closed his (laughs) word that I don't think is spelled correctly. uh, (laughs) Closed the case. (laughs) 
<laughs> Looking into the Boston mass Ma- Boston massacre. Fuck me. Okay. November 1931, <laughs> County Coroner Herman Budson officially closed the case on the massacre, concluding merely that seven men had been murdered by someone. Uh, that is accurate. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would agree with that sentiment. However, four years later, federal agents arrested a man named Brian Bolton, B-Y-R-O-N, Bolton, no relation to Michael, I don't think, who surprised <laughs> investigators by agreeing to tell them all about the massacre. According to FBI reports, Bolton said the massacre was planned in late 1928 at a Wisconsin resort owned by Fred Gotet, Gotias, with Al Capone in attendance. Ah. Bolton identified the killers as Fred Goetz. G-O-E-T-Z. G-O-E-T. Goats? Fred Goats. <laughs> Gus Winkler, Fred Burke, Raymond Craneck Nugent, and Bob Carey. He <laughs> said that there were two lookouts across the street from the garage, Jimmy the Swede Morand and Jimmy McCrushins. A number of Chicagoans is a great name. Right? He didn't even need a the blank. Right? Like, my name's Jimmy McCrushins. What are you going to do about it? Doesn't sound like a McDonald's order at all. Or McLovin. McCrushins? What would you order at McDonald's as McCrushins? Frito pie. Oh. <laughs> you need Shit. to be in marketing. Yeah, I'm really hungry. <laughs> but see, that would, like, that seems more Wendy's to me because Wendy's has chili. McDonald's. But it is... couldn't be a McCrushin if it was. No. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll just open. It could be part of Big Spoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was it Big Spoon or Little Spoon? That was the name of our cuddle cafe. We were going to have one here and one in Michigan. I think Big Spoon was here. Ah. And then Little Spoon was going to be the sister store. So a large number of investigators believe Bolton's story. And it was later corroborated by two others. Irene Goats, who was married to Fred Goats, and Georgette Winkler. Bless Hen- her heart. Henry Winkler? <laughs> yes. Who was married to... They called him Gus in this story. Oh, okay. But it's really Henry. Georgette said the four men who entered the garage and murdered Moran's gang were Fred Burke, Fred Goats, Gus Winkler, and Raid Nugent. She said Burke and Goats wielded the Tommy guns in the massacre. Um, the lookouts, she said, were Moran and Bolton, who apparently had modified this part of the story so they wouldn't implicate himself. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover... I know that name. Did not act on Bolton's confession, apparently believing the murders were a local police matter. Although never prosecuted for their, quote, roles in the massacre, most of the American boys did pay for their dastardly deeds. Fred Burke was convicted of killing a Michigan police officer, spent the rest of his life in prison. Bob Carey was shot to death in 1932 in what authorities declared a murder-suicide. Gus Winkler was murdered in 1933, allegedly on orders of the Chicago outfit boss, uh, Frank Needy, who is Capone's successor. That would be my nickname. Um, Needy. <laughs> it's N-I-T-T-I. It. Not- oh, no, no. <laughs> Not N E E D Y. I'm N E E D Y. That's what she would be. She'd be the brunette, the needy brunette. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's a redhead right now? It's, it's kind of brown. That's because I haven't dyed it and I'm due for a dye. <laughs> you're due for a dye because you're a, a needy mop-ups. brunette. <laughs> so needy suspected that Winkler was talking to the feds. Frank Goats was murdered on the streets of Cicero, Illinois in 1934. And Raymond Craneck Nugent was last seen in 1930 with Al Capone in Florida, but then vanished. Oh, see, that guy got away scot-free. 
Or he died. Or no. he is swimming with the fishes. With no. concrete boots. He moved to like rural Mississippi and lived out his days. <laughs> what? I don't think that someone involved with Al Capone and Chicago and the bootlegging, you know, industry would be happy just moving to rural Mississippi. When were we? 1930s? Oh, probably not. No. Yeah. Eh. Moved out to New Nevada. Nevada? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. (laughs) We're American. So uh, lots of people assume that the murders of Winkler and Goats were the results of the Chicago syndicate not wanting to uh, risk the massacre assailants talking. The lack of trials put an end to the St. Valentine's Day massacre story. Although Capone's bodyguard Jack McGurn was never prosecuted in the massacre, the theory endured that he was the mastermind. For one thing, if Capone was behind the massacre, it seemed likely that he would have had McGurn handling his details because he was like his main go-to guy. He initiated everything for him. And he also had good reason to go after the members of Bug Moran's gang. On March 7th, 1928, McGurn was hit in the chest and arm by a machine gun fire in the McCormick Hotel. And his assailants were allegedly the Gusenberg brothers, who less than a year later were two of the seven men killed in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Another hit attempt on April 27th, 1928, when a car carrying four men opened fire with Tommy guns on McGurn's Lincoln. McGurn jumped out of the car and ran for cover. So it's believed that McGurn had lots of enemies, but circumstances surrounding his murder seem to suggest that it was payback for the massacre. On February 15th, 1936, McGurn entered a bowling alley at 805 Milwaukee Avenue with two men. As they prepared to bowl, another man entered the building and ordered everyone to stand still. The two men who had come into the building with McGurn and the third man pulled guns and shot him several times. Oh, shit. Popular legend says the Valentine's Day card was left on McGurn's body, but there's no evidence to support this. However, a note at the front desk stated, you lost your dough and handsome houses, but things could be worse. You know, at least you haven't lost your trousers. So, you know, those (laughs) super highfalutin mobsters. Someone made up a rumor that uh, they left him a note about not losing his pants. Okay. So that's the two main suspects are the killer Burke and Capone's bodyguard McGurn. I hmm. fully go with McGurk. McGurk. What, <laughs> what is it? Turks McGurks. Turks McGurks. <laughs> the killer. The killer. Are you talking about his bodyguard? No, the Michigan guy. Burke. Burke. McGurk. Burke. <laughs> McGurn. McGurn. Was his bodyguard. Cool. Yes, I go for all of that, but <laughs> most definitely the Michigan guy. The, the killer i pay attention <laughs> as you are have how many braids in your hair now after my story it's fine keep going so, that's the valentine's day massacre happy valentine's yeah. day everybody <laughs> go spread some love let's hope your day is less eventful than that or not you know i don't know what you're into uh, let's hope there's not a massacre oh well yeah no but you might want to do some sleuthing I don't know. I want to do that catch a killer box. And if I got that for Valentine's Day, I would be real excited. Heck yeah. So some people might be into that sort of thing. Accurate. Well, thank you for that. I enjoyed that a lot. Absolutely. I could still root for Capone and say he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, uh, we'll probably do a deep dive into him. Absolutely. At some point. And the forensics guy. He was really cool. There's a lot of really cool studies that he was involved in. I started to go down that trail. And you're like, wait, wait, focus. Wait, 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 focus, focus, focus. (laughs) I can't go on a whole nother biography. Because there's already enough stories that went into that one. So, Good job, ma'am. Well, I appreciate all of that except for the dog part. Yeah, so. well, the dog went crazy. 
Yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, and on it, like, at least, you know, if he had to go, at least he was put down. He wasn't. Properly. And yeah. he wasn't. Part of the massacre. Yeah, exactly. Fair. Fair. I guess I'll take that. So. Yes. Thank you for that. Happy Absolutely. Valentine's Day, everyone. Go spread some love. <laughs> Just not all over the walls. I'm a terrible oh. person. I'm so sorry. I couldn't stop it coming out of my mouth. I'm so sorry. On that note. That was Tiffany. Let it be known. That was Tiffany. And on that note, remember, friends, everyone has something that they find odd. Let us tell you why sometimes it's not. If you have any questionable topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social medias. Links can be found on our website, theladiesestrange.com, or you can email them to us at theladiesestrange at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And I'm so sorry. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show, you can find us on patreon.com slash the ladies of strange. Keep it strange, my lovelies. Bye. Bye. I'm twisted. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs)